Genesis chapter 17 today. Genesis chapter 17. Elizabeth is going to come and read the passage for us. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said to him, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I'm changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, Your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign-born servants whom you have purchased. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. Any male who fails to be circumcised will be cut off from the covenant family for breaking the covenant. Then God said to Abraham, Regarding Sarah, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarah. From now on, her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her and give you a son from her. Yes, I will bless her richly, and she will become the mother of many nations. Kings of nations will be among her descendants. Then Abraham bowed down to the ground, but he laughed to himself in disbelief. How could I become a father at the age of 100, he thought. How can Sarah have a baby when she's 90 years old? So Abraham said to God, May Ishmael live under your special blessing. But God replied, No, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son for you. You will name him Isaac, and I will confirm my covenant with him and his descendants as an everlasting covenant. <clears throat> as for Ishmael, I will bless him also, just as you have asked. I will make him extremely fruitful and multiply his descendants. He will become the father of 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will be confirmed with Isaac, who will be born to you and Sarah about this time next year. When God had finished speaking, he left Abraham. On that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those born there and those he had bought. 
Then he circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins just as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, was 13. Both Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised on that same day, along with all the other men and boys of the household, whether they were born there or bought as servants. All were circumcised with him. Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of worship today. We thank you that we can just come and open our hearts to you and open our lives to you. We thank you for the gifts that you want to give us. We thank you, Lord, that we've received of your presence already today. And God, we thank you for the gift of your word that has been preserved and kept. Lord, we believe in the inerrancy and in the infallibility and in the power, life changing power of the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would open up this passage to us today. Open up the understanding of it for us, for each one of us, for this time, for this place, for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you will remember, the older generation will remember, President Richard Nixon. President Nixon became famous for a phrase that he would say in his speeches over and over again. Some of you might remember it. Let me make this perfectly clear. Anybody remember that? Let me make this perfectly clear. He was also famous for his mannerisms. And some of you might remember there was a comedian like comedians today who do impersonations today. Rich Little had to make millions upon millions upon millions of his impersonation of Richard Nixon. Let me make this perfectly clear. Your president is not a crook. Everybody has a right to know that your president is not a crook. Okay, that's, you can applaud now. That's a great impersonation of President Nixon. We are entering into that season now where for more than the next year, politicians will be crisscrossing the country and posting online all of their pledges, all of their promises. They want to make their promises perfectly clear. And they'll be repeating themselves over and over and over and over again until we're tired of hearing it if we aren't already. The problem is, the problem is in our particular system, most of them do not have the ability by themselves to keep those promises. They don't have it. They don't have it. Our system is based on people supposed to be working together. So a whole lot of promises never get kept because they can't build, they can't sell it to the other people who are in charge. But Here's the good news. What God promises, he guarantees. What God says he's going to do, he can do it all by himself. And God initiates all of this for Abraham. God's the one who comes to Abraham. God's the one who says, I'll give you many descendants. God's the one who says, I'll give you nations. God's the one who says, I will make out of you multitudes of nations. God is the one who says, I'll give you all of this land. I will give you all of it. And God is repeating in this chapter, chapter 17, God is repeating the promises he has already given to Abraham four times before. He's telling him again and again and again and reminding him again and again and again. Now it's been 13 years, 13 years since God first came to Abram. So he's not coming and repeating himself to Abram every single day, not even every year. But at critical moments, at critical moments in Abram's life, God comes 
and he repeats the promise and God has already given promises to us God has already come and given promises to you God has promised you freedom God has promised you freedom from sin. God has promised you freedom from guilt. God has promised you freedom from the bondages of our past lives. Hallelujah. Anybody say praise the Lord for that? God has promised us freedom from anxiety. God has promised us freedom from fear. Praise the Lord. God has promised us escape from temptation. He's not promised us temptation won't come, but he's promised us escape when the temptation comes. God has promised us how we can find him. That's good news. God has promised us his presence. God has promised us an eternal home. And God has promised us ultimate freedom forever. Hallelujah. He's come to us and he's given us, Peter said, exceedingly great and precious promises. But what's our part? If God comes and God initiates and God gives the promise and God keeps the promise and God does, what is our part? Notice in the middle of the chapter, God said to Abraham, your responsibility okay i've given you all these promises i've told you what i'm going to do i've already started to do it but then he says your responsibility is to obey your responsibility is to obey the terms of the covenant you and all your descendants have this continual responsibility so what is our part what do we receive in this deal what should our response be to all the promises God has made to us well when God came to Abram before when he came to Abram to make the covenant nothing was asked of Abram remember a couple of chapters ago when God told Abram to bring those animals and Abram cut those animals and he laid those animals out and typically when two people of that time would make a covenant, they would bring their animals, they would cut their animals, and they would walk through the blood of the animal, signifying may what happens to this animal happen to me if I don't keep this covenant. That's how strong covenants were. That's how strong the agreements were. But when God came to Abram, Abram brought the animals and laid them out, but God is the one who walked through the blood. The smoking fire pot came down and walked through the blood. Abram didn't do that God came he's the one who walked through the blood so just like Abram we just we just come to God as we are we come to God just as we are he gives us promises he gives us promises that are guaranteed but we bring nothing but ourselves once we are though once we are walking in relationship with him what do we bring in this passage Genesis chapter 17 God spells out our part of the deal our part of the deal now let me be clear let me be perfectly clear this is not what we have to do in order to receive the blessings of God he gives those freely but this is what we need to do to maintain the blessings of God years and years and years ago I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this because the guy was just super 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 weird okay Sharon and I were newlyweds, and there was this one guy, and he was a guest speaker at a service we went to, and he's supposed to be a prophet. He wasn't, at least it's not been proven to me in any way, shape, or form that he was a prophet. But one thing he liked to do is prophesy more to women than to men. And he liked to close his eyes and call the women up real close and whisper his prophecies in their ears. So he called Sharon up and he pulled her close and whispered in her ears. And I'm telling you, I was this close to punching that guy right smack in the face in the middle of the church service. You got something to say to my wife? You can say it to me, buddy. 
Can I get an amen? Can I get a witness this morning? So what he, what he prophesies is that someday God's going to just give her a house, give her the dream house. She's not going to have to do anything to get it. She's just going to sign the papers and the house will be hers. 34 years later, we're still waiting on that house. Wouldn't it be great if somebody just gave you a house, though? Wouldn't it be awesome if you just got a house for free? No payments, no, no escrow, no insurance, no, no loans, no interest, none of that. What, what if, what if it, but even if, somebody, even if somebody were to just give you a house free and clear, that house would have to be maintained, right? There's maintenance that has to be done. There's upkeep that has to be done. Cars have to be maintained. You got to change the oil or else it ain't going to last you very long at all. Houses got to be maintained. Cars got to be maintained. Somebody may give you something, but you have both blessings and obligations as a result of whatever it is that person gave you. So in this relationship with God that he has offered us and he provides for us freely, what is our part of the deal? What is our part of the deal? God freely gives us and offers us a relationship with Him, but we have to maintain that relationship. And I see four ways in Genesis chapter 17, four ways in which our part of our response to what Jesus has done for us is much the same as Abram's part of this covenant God made with him. First, we receive a new name. That's a new identity. By the way, you've got notes in your bulletin. I put blanks in there for a purpose, helps you follow along. And one thing my daughter reminded me of that she used to do when she was a teenager is she'd get with her friends before service and grab the outline and guess and try to fill them out. And then during the message, she would see if she was right or not. I commend that practice to you so that it'll help you listen and stay tuned, right? So number one, we receive a new name. We receive a new identity. Verse 5. What's more, God says, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. Verse 15, then God said to Abraham regarding Sarai, your wife, her name will no longer be Sarai. From now on, her name will be Sarah. The name Abram means exalted father. Abraham sounds like a Hebrew term that means father of many, father of a multitude. So God is putting his promise into Abraham's new name. He, you know, Abram got kind of off track in the last chapter. Remember that? He got kind of off track. He took Hagar, had a wife through, had a, had a child through Hagar. And then Hagar and Sarah got into it with each other. God wants to write this into Abraham's name so that every single time Abraham writes his name, speaks his name, tells someone else his name, he is reminded that God is the one who is going to make him the father of many. His name is changed so that he will remember the promises of God. And Sarai means princess. Sarah means noble woman. From Sarah would come kings. From Sarah would come Saul and David and Solomon and Josiah and Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat. And eventually through a great, 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 great granddaughter of Sarah's name Mary is going to come the Prince of Peace. Is going to come the ultimate King of Israel, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And with both, watch this, with both, God puts his own name into them. And he puts his spirit into them. He puts his breath into them. Abram to Abraham. Sarai to Sarah. And the name of God is 
actually unpronounceable. And the closest we can come to it, taking the Hebrew into the English, there's no vowels. It's Y-H-W-H. We stick the A and the E in to make it Yahweh just so we can make sense of it. But that's not the, that's not the closest you can get to it. The closest you can get to it is Y-H-W-H. That's God. That's the breath. That's the spirit. And so he changed Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah. He put his own name on their name. He wrote his own name on to them. So the name change is given to Sarah also. Notice this. Remember last week we said one of the reasons they might have got messed up. And Sarah made the suggestion to give Abram Hagar. Which was going back to the old ways and the old customs that was written in the marriage contracts of that time. She had not received the promise. Prior to that, and prior to this, God had only come to Abraham. I'm going to make you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you descendants. But now when Sarah's name is changed, God has not only given these promises to Abraham. He is making it clear that Sarah is part of the promise. Sarah is part of the deal. Her name, her name will be a constant reminder. Don't forget what God has promised you. Name changing is not uncommon in scripture. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. From deceiver to one who prevails with God. Simon was changed to Peter. Jesus gave him a name of strength. Peter is to be reminded that Jesus gives him strength. And will give him strength beyond his own ability. James and John were called the sons of thunder. Because they were eager to carry out the purposes and the plans of God. We have done this in our own family. When our daughter and son-in-law adopted our grandson, his name was Dalton. But they changed his name to Isaiah. Because Isaiah means the Lord saves. Isaiah means the salvation of... Because that's what we're believing for in his life. So he's been given a new name because we're believing for a new life for him. Isaiah chapter 62 verse 2 says, You will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. Acts chapter 11 verse 26. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. First called Christians, a new name. So just as God put the breath of his name into Abraham and Sarah, we are now called by the name of the one who made a covenant with us. We are called by the name of Christ. Anytime you claim to be a Christian, you are accepting a new name, and the name of Christ is stamped upon that name. The name of Christ is stamped upon your identity. How has God given us part of himself in this covenant? He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Holy Breath. He's given us the very presence of God. But wait, there's more. Revelation chapter 2 verse 17, I will give to each one a white stone and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. That's something to look forward to. God's going to give you a new name and you're going to be the only one who really comprehends that new name because you're the only one who's gone through what you've gone through and you're the only one for whom God has done what he's done in your life. And Revelation chapter 3 verse 12, all who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it and I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God and I will also write on them my new name 
He's going to write his name on you. What is his new name? Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 and 12. Then I saw heaven open and a white horse. And its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and he wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire. On his head were many crowns. And a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. And his title is the Word of God. He's given us a new name. He gives you a new name when you put your faith in him. And name is identity. Catch this. Name is identity. Don't we have a lot of talk today about identity? And identity confusion. Oh, I identify as this. I identify as that. When we receive what God offers us in covenant through Jesus, our identity is not in our past. Our identity is not in our circumstances. Our identity is not in our temptations or our desires. Our identity is not in our preference. Our identity is not in our natural or unnatural desires. Our identity is in Jesus. Jesus clears up identity confusion when he gives us his identity. I'm proud of the name Blankenship. I'm proud of the name Blankenship. And I'm glad I have moved to a place where nobody asks me how I spell my name. And nobody assumes they know how to spell it and misspell it. That's what happened most of my life till I came here where there's pages and pages of Blankenships. But, but that is not my ultimate name. Blankenship is not my ultimate name. Blankenship is not my ultimate identity. My ultimate identity is Christian. My ultimate identity is Christ-like, meaning I'm a little Jesus. That's what I'm supposed to be. I'm a little Jesus. You're supposed to be a little Jesus. You're supposed to be more like Jesus. And I need to be more like Jesus because that's what my name implies. My name Christian implies I'm supposed to be walking through this life, dealing with people and dealing with myself as if I were Jesus. So we get a new name. We get a new identity. Second part of our deal, we bring blood. In order to maintain the relationship that we've been freely given, in order to maintain the gifts and blessings that we've been freely given, what's our part of the deal? We bring blood. And so God says to Abram, I've given you this promise, and I've given you this promise, I've given you this promise. And I've, I've repeated the promise, repeated the promise, repeated the promise, repeated the promise. I am going to do it. I'm going to do it. And Abraham, you got messed up when you took Hagar. You got messed up, you got off track, you thought you could do it yourself. I'm going to give you a sign that lets you know I mean, no, when 99 years old and he had to be circumcised, that's going to be an experience he'll never forget. Hello? And he takes his 13-year-old son, and he takes every member of his household, every male in the household, and he, they're all, everybody, all God's children got circumcised that day. How many know that was a day nobody ever forgot? Because God didn't want Abraham to forget his promise. And, and, and the, fir the first response, you know, if, if we just say we're reading this for the very first time and it's like, God asked for that? That is just so freaking weird, man. I mean, really. It is weird. And it actually became controversial when the new covenant came. 
Because most of the people in the world who were outside of Judaism were not circumcised. Didn't think they need to be circumcised. And the Jewish Christians who had accepted Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, they thought if any Gentile is going to become a Christian into a relationship with God through Jesus, they have to be circumcised as well. Because that's how it always worked. A Syrian could come into a relationship with God, but they had to be circumcised. A Philistine could come into a relationship with God, but they had to be circumcised. Any of the enemies that Israel fought in the Old Testament could come into a relationship with God, but they had to be circumcised. It was the sign that you were coming into this covenant with God. It was part of the deal. And so you go into the New Testament, Jesus dies, raises again, and the apostles start preaching to those who are not Jewish. And some of the Jewish people said, but wait, but wait, but wait. God said to Abraham, this is what we have to do. Paul comes along and Paul says, no, Jesus shed his blood. So circumcision is no longer required. Jesus did all the bleeding for us. Now, at this point, Genesis chapter 17, Abraham himself is still uncircumcised. God already gave Abraham the promise, right? Years before, years before. God gave Abraham the promise. There was no shedding of blood on Abraham's part to receive the promise. So why in the world does God ask for this? God's already told him what he's going to do. God's already given him a promise. Why does God ask for such a weird and a strange sign? Because it is a sign. Exactly that. He said it's a mark. You are going to carry the mark in your body of the promises that I've given you. Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a powerful sign that they should always remember. God didn't want them to ever forget it, that it's also a foreshadowing that there's another who's going to come and shed blood to make these promises available to everyone. There's another that's coming to shed blood. So, so Jesus is the part of God that comes into his bride and plants his Holy Spirit in us and gives new birth and new life and new fruit. The part of God that comes into the bride is the part that was cut and bled and died for this new relationship. So the old covenant was a cutting away of the skin. The new covenant is a cutting away of the sin. And so Abraham received this promise by faith, and he responded. We receive the promises of forgiveness by faith. We receive the promise of a relationship with God simply by faith, but we do need to bring blood. We do need to bring blood. Here is the difference. The blood we bring is not our own. And this still separates Christianity from every other faith in the world today. The blood we bring is not our own. We bring the blood of Jesus. We bring the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that will wash our hearts clean. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 22. Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. So just like Abraham would never forget that day. Abraham would never forget the blood he shed. Abraham would never forget the promise God made. We must never forget what Jesus has done for us. And know that if you want to be in a relationship with God, the only way is through blood. If you want to really be in a relationship with God and know that your sins are forgiven and know that you're on your way to heaven, you have to go to God, but you have to go based on the blood of Jesus. God, I come to you and I'm a mess. My life is a mess. And I'm full of sin and I've disobeyed you and I've strayed far from you. But I come and I bring that blood of Jesus that he shed for me. And once you're in that relationship, it's the same thing. Lord, I come to you based on the blood of Jesus. 
God, I come to you based on the blood of Jesus. Lord, Lord, I need healing in my life. I need healing in my home. I need healing in my family. You've given me those great and precious promises, Lord. There's so many things you've said you want to do for me. I'm coming to you based on the blood of Jesus. If we're going to receive the promises that God, just like Abraham, if we're going to receive the promises God's made for us, we come with blood. But it's not our own blood like Abraham. It is the blood of Jesus. We must never forget the blood. My wife was raised in an interesting church. They had an organist in the church one time who liked to play the songs about the blood. There's power in the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. There was a revolt and rebellion in the church to never have any more songs about the blood. Too gross, too gory. One preacher, one time pastor they had made an altar call. The next week he was gone. He was never seen from or heard from again. Sharon used to be the pastor's secretary. She would type up the pastor's sermon notes and she would add to the sermon notes. She would add the Bible into the messages that the pastor didn't have enough Bible in them. A few months ago, that church was for sale. Closed. Shut its doors. Gone. You know what? It was done a long time ago. They forgot about the blood. They forgot about the promise. They forgot about the word. They forgot about the truth. So let's go forward just a little bit to Moses because there's something really kind of cool and weird and interesting all at the same here. Moses, Moses came one time without the blood. So Moses is the one called by God. He's raised in the Pharaoh's house. He goes out in the wilderness. He sees the burning bush. God says, you are the one who's going to be the deliverer of my people. You're going to go down to Egypt. I'm going to set the people free. I am going to use you. He had gotten married. He had had sons. But Moses forgot about the covenant. Moses forgot about the blood. Moses forgot about the promise. And it almost got him killed. And it almost got the entire plan of God off track. Very, very strange story. Listen to this. It's in Exodus chapter 4. So Moses has taken his wife and his sons, and he, he's been called of God. He's seen the burning bush. He said yes after all of his protests. Aaron's going to be the spokesperson for him. And he goes with his wife and his son, and he is on his way to Egypt to start to fulfill that call of God on his life. Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. On the way to Egypt... At a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife Zipporah, who was not Jewish, she wasn't from the Jewish covenant background, Moses' wife Zipporah took a flint knife and circumcised her son. Way past eight days. It had not been done before. They were not living by the covenant in their own life. She touched his feet. Zipporah, his wife, circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. Boy, that's a weird part of the story, isn't it? That's why you don't ever hardly read it or hear a preacher preach on it. Because it's just too weird. I'm tell you a little bit about this passage. In the Hebrew language, 
the word for feet is often a euphemism for the male sexual organ. Unless you're reading through the Old Testament, it's often translated feet. But if, if you don't know the Hebrew, you don't know if they're really talking about feet or if they're talking about the male sexual organ. So she circumcised her son and she took that bloody foreskin of her son in the middle of the night when Moses was about to die. She took the bloody foreskin of her son and threw it at Moses. Male part. Blood! You're a bridegroom of blood to me! She didn't like it. She wasn't happy. Listen, Jesus, Jesus is our bridegroom of blood. Jesus is our bridegroom of blood. We cannot neglect staying constantly connected to what Jesus did for us. And that's what Moses was missing. You see, Moses' wife wasn't from this background. So when the baby was born, they did not circumcise him. They didn't fulfill the covenant. They didn't fulfill their part of the deal. They didn't put a sign in there that said, I believe God is going to keep his word. I believe God is going to keep his covenant. They didn't keep him in the covenant. Moses' family was not in the covenant. Maybe his wife didn't understand it. Maybe she thought it was stupid, strange, and silly. Maybe she saw no purpose. She didn't understand the promise of the one who was going to come and bleed for us. She didn't understand the powerful sign that God had given them a future salvation. And Moses just let it go. He let his wife win the argument. The family was going to be falling back into pagan ways and they would never be able to lead the people to where God wanted them to be beyond just living in a promised land. They were not going to be able to lead the people in God's ways if they themselves were not following in God's ways. And God came and he just about took Moses' life for it until she finally relented and she finally fulfilled and she finally shed the blood and she identified exactly where that blood is supposed to come from. So the blood had to be shed, folks. Don't neglect the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we get a new name, a new identity. We bring blood. Third, we bring faith. We bring faith. And in this, we recognize that the plan is miraculous. God's plan is miraculous. The baby, going back to the story of Abraham and Sarah, the baby that is yet to come, the fulfillment of the promise that God has already made several times, that fulfillment of God's promise is going to come when Abraham is 100 and Sarah is 90. 190 and they're going to have a baby. If you're having trouble understanding the mystery, it's okay. It's mysterious. It requires faith to believe. We're not required to understand it all. The Bible wasn't given to us to answer all of our questions. You don't, you don't have to get every question answered. It was given for us to respond in faith. I don't understand how electricity works. Absolutely don't understand how electricity works. But I walk into a room, flip the light switch, and there it goes. I don't understand how computers work. I don't understand how the internet works. I don't understand how, how in the world can you take that phone and, and you touch it in the middle and something happens. If the screen's black, you can touch it and nothing happens. But if you open it up and you touch it, 
something happens. But if there's something different there, you can touch it in the same place and something different will happen. Can anybody explain this to me? No, you can't. And I don't think anybody in the universe can to a way that most of us would ever be able to understand. How in the world do you touch a piece of glass and, and stuff happens? How in the world, how in the world can I be walking through Lowe's in Paris and I can talk on my phone with my cousin who is in Vanuatu? Right, Vanuatu. Where is it? Nobody knows. Nobody knows where Vanuatu is, but, but it's, it's like the Jetsons was a cartoon, man. I don't understand. But does that keep me from using it? No. I don't understand how it works. But it works. You know, our daughter FaceTimes us with the grandkids all of the time. This, we've gotten used to mind-blowing stuff. We use stuff all the time that we have zero comprehension of. And then we say, well, I'm not going to believe that Jesus stuff unless I can answer it all and get all the questions. I'm not going to believe that there's really a God that created this world unless I can get it. Forget it. You're not going to get every answer. You're not going to get it all explained to your satisfaction. There's got to be some faith. I don't even know how the washer and dryer works, but I got clean clothes. Maybe, maybe you know how some of these things work, but you don't know everything. And you use things all the time when you don't know how they work. You turn switches in faith and it works. You get from here to a destination hundreds of miles away in a day because you trust that that machine is going to get you there. Abraham accepts now that this plan is miraculous. He tried to make it work all by himself and he messed it all up. Do not try to make your life work by yourself. It won't work. It won't work. Life doesn't work without the miraculous intervention of God. We have to receive him into our lives. We have to... Give our lives to Him. We have to give Him full control over every area. And what did God say at the very beginning of this passage? Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, the God Almighty. So we have to believe He's God Almighty. We have to believe that He's going to get done what we can't get done. We have to trust in the miraculous. We have to trust in what we cannot see and what we cannot fully understand. God says, I can do anything. God says, go out and look at the stars, Abraham. I did that. I did that. We still don't understand how they work. I see pictures that come in from the galaxies and the galaxies and the universe is continuously growing and the stars and the constellations and the beauty. It's just, it's just unbelievable. God did all of that. None of it could have come about by accident. God did it all, and God made you. God made your eyes. Anybody want to explain how your eyes work? How your eyes get messages to your brain and then back to you so you understand and you comprehend? How, how do your lungs work? How does your heart work? A few of you can explain this. I, I can't explain it. How, your muscle tissues are all together. Your spine with all the nerves wrapped around your spine. Certain parts are more important than the other. Your nervous system, your brain sends signals to your body to function, and I'm talking and I'm reading and I'm moving all at the same time because my brain is just going... Somebody explain it. You can't explain it. The most smartest people in the world still can't explain it. But here's the thing. God can do anything. Trust Him. And if you want to say it all came about by random accident from a little cell in a pool somewhere and now here we are and everything works just fine and wonderful, great, great. Go ahead. I do not have enough faith to believe that. It takes way more faith to believe all of this wonderful thing that we call a body and the wonderful way it works, if somebody way smarter than any human being didn't create it and design it and make it grow and make it work and make it develop, you say it just, here it is, 
I don't have near that much faith. So God, well, I'm sorry, you don't believe in God. I can't even say God bless you for having so much faith. So what good is your faith? None, nothing, zero. So this thing that came from nothing is going to go back to nothing and you're going to be nothing. But with my faith in God who put together something that I can't comprehend or understand, it is going to be transformed into something that will never die. And I'll have a relationship with him for It's awesome. So trust him. That's part of what you bring to the deal. That's part of what we bring to the table. We bring faith. We bring trust. Romans chapter 4 tells us more about this story. Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. He figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham had nothing to give to bring a child into the world. They were both too old. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe faith. If we believe. If we believe. If we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Abraham believed. We must believe that's what we bring. The book of John alone, the word believe is used 92 times. 92 times. John is saying over and over and over again, believe, 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 believe. John 3, 16, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. John 14, John 14, let, your heart, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Believe, believe, believe. That's part of what we bring to the table is belief. And get this, get this. 99 years old, Abraham is good as dead. No baby's coming from that body. No baby's coming from Sarah's body. But what happens? By faith, God restores. And Sarah does get pregnant. And she does have the child. Here's another part of the story we often skip over. Sarah dies. Abraham mourns. Abraham buries her in the cave of Machpelah. Abraham's lonely. Abraham finds Keturah. He falls in love with Keturah. They get married. And they have Twelve kids! Most of the time, all you hear about is good old 100-year-old Abraham finally had a kid. Yay, raw. Twelve more! Let me tell you, when God fixes something, He really fixes it. I mean, when God fixes it, He fixes it for good. Abraham was dead, but then here comes Isaac, and then comes Keturah 1, Keturah 2, all the way up to Keturah 12. Mind-blowing stuff. How did that happen? Faith. That's all Abraham brought to the table was faith. Believe, 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 believe. And it wasn't believing in something he could see and it wasn't believing in something he could feel. It was simply believing in the word of God. If you don't see it, if you don't feel it, if there's nothing in your body that says this is going to happen, just believe it anyway. Last thing we bring is obedience. 
Verse 23, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and every male in his household, including those born there and those he had bought. Then he circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins, just as God told him. So God already made the promise. God already guaranteed the promise. But Abraham had to receive the new name, the new identity. He had to bring the blood. He had to bring the belief. And then he had to bring the obedience so that God's promise could be fully realized. Abraham obeyed immediately without delay. Abraham did not ask God why. When I was a kid, I would ask my dad why. Dad would say, because I said so. Now they tell us that's not the greatest parenting technique in the world today, but they say we need to try to explain our thinking to our kids, and that's probably right some of the time, but when and how does the child learn how to trust a parent? So that when the storm is coming and dad says, we'd better get in the basement, dad does not have the time to explain all the science beyond, behind meteorological phenomenon. It's just like, we'd better get in the basement, we'd better get in the basement right now. Where's the trust? Where's the faith? It's marked by obedience. Psalm 119, verse 60, I will hurry, I will hurry without delay to obey your commands. When Paul gave an account of his meeting Jesus, he said, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I did not rush out to confer with any human being. So that's what we bring to the deal. We bring obedience like Abraham, like Paul. We fully obey, fully and completely without question. We show trust. We hear what he says to us and we obey it. I believe this book. I believe all of it. I trust it. I do not understand it all. I'm still studying. I'm still learning. But this is God's word to me. Abraham led his entire family into obedience and into blessing. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So here's our part of the deal. We receive the new name, the new identity. We bring the blood, the blood of Jesus. We bring faith as trust and belief. And we bring obedience. So I want to encourage you today to listen for his voice. Look for his voice. Be in the word. Be in the word. Be in the word. Let the word of God be your bread of life. Do not merely be a hearer of the word. Be a doer of the word. And remember this. 1 Kings chapter 8. Verses 56 through 58, praise the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed of all the wonderful promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never leave us or abandon us. May he give us the desire to do his will in everything and to obey all the commands, decrees, and regulations that he gave our ancestors. Not one word has failed of all of his promises. Not one word word so what do you see today what do you see today what do you need to bring today let's bow our heads together father we love you we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your word we thank you for your promises now here's the first thing we need to bring we we need to our part of the deal we receive the new name. We receive the new identity. That is step one. Abram received his name changed to Abraham. Sarai received her name changed to Sarah. The very name and breath and spirit of God was stamped on their identity. Has that happened for you? It's been offered to you. Have you received it? It's been offered to you. Have you received it? Is Christian not just not just a not just a name, but an actual identity that has changed your life from before 
to after? Is there a before and after moment in your life of an, of an identity change? If not, we need to accept the Lord right now. We need to accept that new name. We need to accept that new identity. So I want to invite you to pray with me. If you believe this, if you believe what you've been told today, if you believe Jesus is God, always has been God, died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, and if you know you've sinned and been separated from Him and need to come to Him, He wants to offer you a new name today. He wants to offer you new identity today. He wants you to receive those promises today. So I want you to pray with me right now. Pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, I believe you are God. I confess my sins. And I want right now to be my before and after moment. Come into my life. I accept your forgiveness. Give me that new name. Give me that new identity in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now just thank him right now. Thank him for what he's done. Believe. Believe what he's done. Believe in what he's done. Believe in what he's promised. Just receive it now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for what you've given to us. We worship you, Lord. We praise you, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet together. The next thing that we bring is we bring the blood of Jesus. And maybe today you have been asking Him for something, believing Him for something, but have you been asking and believing based on the blood? Are you asking Him for stuff just because it's what you want, just because it's what you desire, just because it's what you think you need? Or are you coming to Him saying, Lord, because of what you've done in your blood? Because of what you've done in your blood. I'm going to ask you to come forward in just a few moments if you need to come and base your request on His blood. Next, we bring faith. We've got to bring faith. We've got to bring belief and trust. And today, if you, if you need your faith level increased, if you need your faith level to grow so that you can come to learn, you can trust that whatever he said, he will do. Whatever he's promised, he will perform. You need your faith level increased for that. And then, and then finally, we bring obedience. Moses was not walking in obedience, and it nearly lost him. Abraham had to learn to walk in obedience. Sarah had to learn to walk in obedience. Paul said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So I want you to come forward right now. If, if you need to make sure that you are basing your request on the blood of Jesus, I want you to come and I want you to be very specific in your prayers that you're asking for this based on what Jesus has done. He's already given us promises, but we have to come based on His blood. I want you to come if you need that. If you need your faith level to grow, if you need your faith to increase, if you're struggling with faith and belief, you believe your phone works, you believe your machines at home work, you believe that stuff works, you put trust and faith in that all the time, but you need your trust and faith in the Word of God to grow, I want you to come. And if you know that you need your obedience level to grow, I want you to come. Maybe there's an area in your life in which you haven't been walking in obedience. So I'm just going to wait. We're going to have our prayer team come and just join with you in prayer. You don't have to share anything if you don't want. They're just going to believe that God's going to be doing His work, His work, His work in your life. So come. If you're in any one of those areas today, I just want to invite you to come. Thank you, Lord. Father, let us be obedient to you today.
Father God, you desire to do great things for us today, Lord. You desire to call us to yourself. You desire to draw us nearer to you, Lord. You desire to do greater things in our lives. Hallelujah. You need to come based on the blood. You need your faith to increase. You need your obedience to increase. Hallelujah. Prayer team members, just come as folks begin to come. Prayer team members, just come and stand behind them. Small group leaders, come and stand behind them. Anybody else, you need to come, we invite you to come. Hallelujah. Let's respond to the Lord today. Let's respond to the Word of God today. Let's open our lives. Let's open our hearts. Let's believe for Him to work in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. No need to be in a hurry when God's working. No need to be in a hurry when God's working. He's waiting on you to respond. This is the hour. This is the time. This is the time to respond to what God wants to do in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Work in our lives, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Do your work in us today. Lord, let us not miss what you want to do for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer we prayed together earlier for the first time or the first time in a long time, let us know on the card that's in your handout that you received today that you made that commitment to the Lord. And if you've not been baptized, we invite you to be baptized. We're going to be having baptismal service before too long. So we invite you to let us know that you need to follow the Lord in water baptism. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. Let's praise Him for what He's done. I'm accepted. You were And well, your spirit is within me Cause you died and arose again Sing it again, I'm forgiven I'm forgiven The altars are still open if you'd like to come and receive prayer If you'd like to come and respond to the working of the Lord Just come and open your life to Him Hallelujah Whatever your need is, feel free to come today. He's a great God. He's a loving God. He's given us exceeding great and precious promises. Lord, we open to you today. Because you died and arose again. Let's sing it again. I'm forgiven. Oh, I'm forgiven. Because you were forsaken. I'm accepted. You were condemned I'm alive and well Your spirit is within me Cause you died and arose again Amazing love Amazing love How can it be You my king would die for me Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. You are my King, Lord. You Let's declare it today. He is our King, oh you. 
Yes, you're my King, Lord, you are my King, Jesus, you are my King, you are my King, amazing love, how can it be? King would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. Amazing love, amazing love, how can it be? That you, my King, would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you in all I do. I honor you. Hallelujah. Lord, I just speak your blessing over your people today. Lord, as we go from this place today, may we walk in your blessing. May we know the power of the blood, Lord. May we walk in the power of the blood. May we walk in faith. May we walk in trust. May our faith grow. May our faith increase. May we walk in obedience, Lord. May we walk in obedience to you and to your word in every area of our lives. Amen. Go in the blessing of God. Go in the goodness of God. Share His blessing and His goodness with others this week. God bless you.